Welcome back to the choir room. We are here for another episode here in season number five. It is time to get into the frenemies of it all. We are uh, back from a hiatus, not us. But Glee is back from a hiatus. Uh, You know, they usually take their break right after Christmas. So December 8th, I think, is when that episode aired. And now we are here on February 25th, 2014. Uh, 2014 feels like it could have been yesterday, but apparently it was now six years ago. We have a special guest today. But before we bring her in, of course, let me welcome in my co-host, my lovely, lovely co-host, who uh, never, uh, the two of us never fight. We are not anywhere near frenemies level. Uh, Amon Adwin, how are you doing today? Well, based off of the uh, Twitter account the other day, which a lot of people took a liking to, you would think that we were feuding because, <laughs> yeah, we had we had some words for one another using the same account. I just went to Target for like five minutes and all of a sudden uh, I come back to my car to see that Amon is logged on to the Choir Room account, which she doesn't do very often, uh, just uh, to just go off about for Barry. I mean, I was just trying to let the people know what was going on, you know what I mean? Because I just feel like I've been seeing so much more February propaganda once we started this podcast and somebody's got to put a stop to it. Fake news. All right, well, we can uh, get to that in another day or maybe never again. But let's bring in our guest today because I'm uh, very excited to have her here with us. We, uh, we're we here in season five. We're almost running out of time, but not. Uh, we, still have to, we still do have enough time to uh, bring in some guests that I think are uh, going to provide some really fun commentary along the way. It is, if you know uh, anything about Sequester, you know this person pretty well, I'm sure. It is CJ Gardner. How are you doing, CJ? Hello, hello. I'm doing great. How are you guys today? Is it wonderful? Is it awesome? It's wonderful because we have you here. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) I'm so corny. Um, I'm very excited to have you here, CJ, because I have seen firsthand, uh, which we'll get into in a second, uh, how big of a Glee fan you are. Uh, That is correct. I actually didn't get into it until I was like out of high school, so after the show started airing. But I sat down, I watched it in college, and I was like, I love this. I ate every moment up. It was delightful. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's an interesting perspective. I feel like we, uh, I, I mean, Amon, correct me if I'm off on this, but I don't know that we've had many, if anybody, uh, that has watched the show in its entire run after it all aired. I don't think so either. I mean, I got into it like towards the end of my high school career, but definitely I was still in high school when I started watching. So yeah, that's, that is interesting. I mean, I feel like you have such like I'm kind of I'm always jealous of people that wait uh, forever to watch episodes or watch uh, TV shows that you actually end up loving because I feel like there are so many shows that are that I can binge now, but they don't come to like the level of like the the love that I have for like shows like Glee and stuff. And I'm like, ah, if I could just sit here, if I had like imagine if I had not watched any Glee at all to this very day like I would have six full seasons of just fantasy to fill my life right now and so I'm always jealous of people like that yeah I uh, totally relate to that every time I watch a show that I have not seen before uh, Lost comes to mind recently people get so jealous they're like I can't believe you're experiencing that for the first time so yeah I totally get it as well Um, but CJ what I was obviously referring to before that you know I was referring to is uh, tell me if I'm over over uh, overdoing it with the the TikTok talk was it just one TikTok or have you done a couple of Glee TikToks that have kind of gained some attention 
The one was what kind of started it because I posted a TikTok of me like somebody essentially posted this like Twitter thread and on TikTok there's a similar thing to what people do on Facebook where two months after a tweet goes viral you see like a tweet on Facebook and so that's very similar on TikTok where people will take tweets and then just put them on TikTok and so I saw this glee thread and I was like you know what I'm gonna do that I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read this guy's thread why not? We'll see what happens. And then it blew up, which I wasn't expecting at all. So then <laughs> after that, I made a little bit more Glee content. And then from there, my For You page just turned into a bunch of Glee content. And it was delightful. My entire For You page is honestly all uh, Glee content and maybe some Disney mixed in there as well. Uh, I don't know how it happened, but I have not complained once about it. I think that's great. But um, yeah, that, I re- definitely remember seeing that specific TikTok because I have, of, cor- of course, watched um, all of the live sequester seasons. So of course I saw yours. So when I saw that, I was like, I feel like I know this person. And then, of course, uh, it took a, a second or two to click in. And I was like, oh, my God, that's that's CJ. That's uh, that, that's now on my For You page with like thousands or tens of thousands, whatever it was, uh, likes on this video. So uh, that was pretty cool. And yeah, so you said that you, uh, you know, have been a recent watcher of Glee or just, uh, you know, not at the time. But uh, tell us more from uh, your Glee experience. Like you really got into it and uh, you've been kind of in and out of it or what's the deal with everything from there? So this was a couple years ago. Whenever I got into it for the first time, it was, I think, my freshman, sophomore year of college because I just didn't watch a lot of TV growing up and so when I got away and had streaming services I sat there and I binged the entire thing which is as you guys were saying wonderful because then you don't have to sit and wait for the off-season breaks and all of that and so just watching the show and then I'm like reading all of the cast info and I'm watching the interviews after the fact which was really interesting because then you get to see even though like had I watched the show in the moment I would get to watch it unfold in real time I can look back and see like oh These people got along and then they didn't and then they did and then they didn't and then this happened and this happened and this happened and this person got here, whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. it's a different experience to kind of see how things unfold from a distance. Yeah, you you got to uh, watch Quinn get in a car accident and Rachel take a pregnancy test and then watch the very next episode to see that they were both, you know how that all played out yeah it's something else i i was not expecting it to be as crazy as it was when i first sat down and watched it and i was like oh oh this is the kind of show we're watching okay Yep. And uh, same thing, you know, everything that you just said about how you watch it is how we're currently watching it because we're watching it all, you know, not back to back to back in, a, as I'm sure, as quick of a binge as you did at the time. But, you know, keeping it all together and talking about it all, we're kind of watching it in a much different way than we were at the time. Because, I mean, just look at the episode we're getting into today is coming out uh, a full, almost a full, almost a full three months after the previous episode aired. So it really does kind of, you know, when you're going in and out of it with weeks in between, still waiting for a new uh, storyline to come out it's you know a different watching experience but i think that's only uh improved our viewing experience here um in this podcast but uh final question before we get into the episode which we ask everybody we have to know cj who your number one character on this show is who would have your full stand card um without uh you know without any hesitation miss santana lopez that's the <laughs> right answer <laughs> That's the right answer. That's endorsed by at least one of these hosts. Uh, probably kind of two. I mean, damn, you would think that I am like running the church of anti-Santana over here. I am a Santana fan. She just wasn't my favorite character at the time. 
no, I know. No, you've uh, fully transitioned into uh, Britney standum, which sucks for you because she's not here right now. But it's uh, somebody's somebody's had to take that title. So, yep, that's uh, definitely the uh, the right answer. If you ask me, a very good answer uh, for Santana. And this is a Santana heavy episode. So I have to imagine that uh, led into why you picked it, CJ. Absolutely. <laughs> I, was, I was like, yes, Santana moment. I'm ready. This is an iconic episode. Let's go. Yes, this is the Santana episode of uh, the, at least the beginning here for season five. So let's get into it. Let's not waste any more time. We're going to start things off with, of course, the uh, here's what you missed on Glee, which is going to really remind us of everything that, like I said, had happened three months ago when this had aired. So it was kind of just resetting us on all the different storylines. We got to see some bad yeast go scat with yeastostat. And I was very excited for that. Um, we're going to open things up with Santana and Rachel over at the Spotlight Diner, and we're going to see a, uh, a woman calls Santana over to her table. She is uh, unsatisfied with the food in front of her and she's going to start speaking Spanish to her because she just assumed, she says, oh, I thought you were Mexican. I didn't know you could speak English. Uh, so a very racist woman <laughs> comes into the uh, diner, gives Santana a hard time. And uh, as Santana walks off, she's even going to throw in a rapido, por favor. And Santana goes over to talk to Rachel. Rachel's pretty surprised that she didn't, you know, throw down with that woman and like, I don't know, like, do something worse than she did. Santana has uh, maintained her composure. She's like, uh, they're talking a little bit about how Santana's is feeling a little down because, you know, she still has to work here. She doesn't have a whole lot else going on. So even though this job isn't the most glamorous or, you know, the most fun that she's ever had in life, she's kind of, you know, got no choice but to still do it. She's also talking about how that commercial has really not been uh, super great for her because everybody thinks that she has a yeast infection. Um, and she's like, sorry, Rachel, I, I don't mean to complain so much. I I'm fine. And Rachel's like, no, you can confide in me anytime. No worries at all. Like we, we can be, uh, you know, we're, we're friends enough, I think, at this point that you can tell me these things. And uh, Santana says that she just has this weird guilt trip thing about being friends with her because she was so awful to her in high school. She's like, Britt and Quinn both hated you, but that's mostly because you suck so bad and you walked with that weird feet pointing out thing. Uh, she's like, I made Quinn look like the boss, but I was really the one running the hate on Rachel parade. Uh, Rachel says it's fine. She forgives her. But, you know, Santana, you do have to forgive yourself. But that's all over now. It's just you, me and Kurt, you know, making it in New York. City. Santana's feeling really insecure about this all, though. She's like, yeah, you know, and of the three of us, I'm the one crapping the bed the hardest. Rachel's like, well, it may be, you know, me on top for now, but one day it's going to be you. And she's going to suggest some good old pampering, uh, specifically that Rachel has a cover shoot for New York Magazine coming up because her, uh, somebody that she is working with on Funny Girl decided that that would be a good idea to get her face out there. She's like, I, we're going to have a bunch of models on set that day. You should definitely come. I can totally get you in. Santana says, yep, sure. I'm down right after I spit in these eggs that she's about to go bring over to uh, that woman. And Amon, before she, uh, before this scene closes out, we're going to hear Santana tell Rachel that she hopes that she hopes that she can be as cool as Rachel's being right now if the roles are ever reversed one day, because Rachel is such a good friend. This scene was so triggering for me. I have waited tables, and I cannot tell you the amount of times that a customer has told me that something was wrong with the food, or this doesn't taste like the last time that they had it, or why don't we get free refills anymore because of the Philadelphia soda tax. I actually got a customer actually pull out their phone just to make to Google Philadelphia soda tax as if I was lying to her, as if... Me charging her another dollar for a damn soda was enough of a hassle for me to get that extra 20 cents that she probably wasn't even going to give me in tip money. Whew. So fuck that lady and her <laughs> racist ass, microaggressive ass shit that she was spewing at Santana. I'm surprised that Santana didn't go all Lima Heights on her and she would have deserved it because screw her. But um, yeah, I mean, Santana is... 
I mean, I've never really been mean to people before, so I've never actually had to feel the guilt of being friends with them later on. But I can imagine that it probably does eat away at her because she has changed a lot. She used to be, you know, this person that couldn't say one kind thing about anybody else. Like, everything that came out of her mouth was an insult. It didn't matter who she was talking to, unless it was Brittany. So I imagine that there's probably intense guilt there for you know, treating Rachel like shit and then Rachel being so kind to her. And of course, Rachel is in a good mood because of everything that's going on with her. But still, like, and like if this were a normal situation, I feel like Rachel would not give Santana the time of day. But she is. And then you sort of have to like deal with all of that shit that you did with her back in high school. So, yeah, I understand the, uh, the guilt. Yeah, CJ, what do you make of the, uh, we've been calling them as of uh, the last episode, the New York Three, uh, it was a pun on New York, uh, no, sorry, NY3 rather than NYC, uh, the Rachel, Kurt, Santana trio. Uh, I, were you uh, surprised to see these three come together in the way that they did over in New York? And then uh, obviously it's starting to kind of fall apart a little bit here. Uh, I think Santana coming into the group was the most like, oh, this is a pleasant surprise. But in terms of Rachel and Kurt, like we already knew, they're a duo. Nothing's gonna come between the duo. So that was that. They're always fun together, and I always like the Rachel Kurt dynamic. I'm not a huge Rachel fan, but when she's with Kurt, I enjoy their friendship, and so that's always nice to kind of see the roommates living it up as best they can in New York on the salary that they have from working at this diner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, the, the salary that they have, uh, which before that even existed, they still had this apartment and somehow afforded this giant loft that is uh, way too big that could fit the entire New Directions for, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, that's what's going on there. We have uh, Santana and Rachel are going to open up this Frenemies episode, which just to, you know, remind you is the episode title because it's really going to play a uh, factor in how a lot of things play out here, both here and in Ohio, where we're going to check in at McKinley. Artie and Tina are in the auditorium. Artie's going to tell Tina that he's really proud of her, uh, or proud of them, really, because they've always been able to stay friends, even after the fact that they broke up, you know, way back when. And he's like, I'm really going to miss this next year when you're at Brown and I'm at film school in Brooklyn. And Tina actually tells him a little bit of news here that she got waitlisted at Brown. So it's really not looking good. She uh, only applied to Ohio State in this dumb vet school. So she's really not feeling optimistic about next year. She's like, I really wanted to get out of here and expand my horizons. Artie says, well, we have two more days at McKinley. Uh, let's make them count. Two more days? That's crazy. Um, so he says, from now until graduation, Tuesday lunch is all about music that's going to cheer you up because the only thing you'll be doing next year is knitting scarves for those chilly Ivy League winters. And uh, Tina calls him out for a very flimsy segue. But we're going to go into our first number of the episode, Whenever I Call You Friend, between Artie and Tina. And uh, CJ, were you a fan of this number? Not really. I, I think it's sweet. It's fun. Like, no, it's not fun. It's sweet, though. But I there, there just wasn't a lot going on visually or anything like that. I, it works for the sake of what the song is, which is just, you know, a nice little friend bond moment. But as a whole, I could sleep through it. It's fine. <laughs> the song is interesting to me because it's so, it's so disjointed. Like, I feel like the melody of the song, there's a huge shift after the first like verse or something and then it turns into a completely different song i've never really heard the song outside of glee before so i'm sure if i had heard like the stevie nicks version i'd be like more you know akin to it but this one just felt it just felt so strange to me but i liked the song i'm just surprised about tina's college choices because wasn't her plan to become a performer didn't you want to be an actor 
And she applied to what? Brown and where else? Ohio State? Yeah. She had all of her hopes in on Brown, but then got waitlisted. So, does yeah. Brown have like a theater or an acting department that it's known for? Like, I don't understand. Like, it's such like when, since when was this her ambition to go to fucking Brown? I mean, I know we don't get a lot of Tina content as it is, but like at least stay consistent with what we do get from her. Like, when did Brown come into the picture? Yeah, I feel like she's mentioned Brown before. I don't know anything about the school itself to tell you if it's uh, got the exact apartment that uh, she's looking for. I have to imagine so, because I think that's all we kind of know that she was going for. She also said in another episode that, oh, maybe the, no, maybe I'm thinking of the vet school thing where she said that that was her backup choice. So they have kind of kept that in there. But yeah, so a little weird. Um, I thought this number was okay. Um, I'm not like the you know world's biggest fan of it, but I'm always happy to hear Artie sing. And Tina also deserves to sing more, even if it's not going to be the best song. So I'm glad that they got this first duet of the episode together and uh, they're still going to get another one. But yeah, they're bouncing around over to the choir room and uh, everybody's in there together. Everybody jumps right into the song and they're all enjoying it. Uh, everybody's enjoying it except for Miss Becky Jackson, of course, who's going to come by and scream. Ugh, close the door when you sing crap like that, will you? Uh, Jake is going to catch Becky by the door and say, can we help you with something? She's like, yeah, quit staring at my boobs. Tina, Artie, Principal Sylvester wants to see you in her office. I love Becky. Um, So Becky is going to bring them over there. Uh, Artie and Tina sit down with Sue. Sue says, Stumbles, Tina, Warrior Princess. It is uh, that time of year where we award a senior class valedictorian. And uh, she's going to kind of lay into them as she usually does, you know, making fun of them for being in a wheelchair and being a loner Asian who has trouble making friends and blah, blah, blah. Uh, She says, it should come as no surprise to you two that you're both at the head of the class. You are actually both tied for number one, identical GPAs, extracurriculars, and you both have perfect attendance. Uh, So, you know, unlike some Glee Club members who come and go for months at a time with no explanation, you two losers are always in that choir room, even if... For an entire week, the only thing you have to say is something inconsequential like, ooh, Kitty's right, or Blaine, are you serious? So we're really leaning into this. uh... The the writers are just dragging themselves this season. It's crazy. They they really, really are. (laughs) They really are. Um, And uh, it's it's worthwhile, I I think, just for this rewatch. It's been fun. Um, They're like, well, we can't both be valedictorian. Uh, Sue says, well, not in my world. So uh, we're going to settle this with a friendly little competition. The valedictorian gives a speech at graduation, as you know, so at the end of this week you are both going to deliver your speech to a blue ribbon panel of idiots of my choosing whoever wins will be crowned valedictorian does that sound fair Artie says no it doesn't and becky screams from the lobby uh life isn't fair abrams and sue says okay sounds good we're gonna do it and just so you both know if you decide to break into song during your speech uh i'm gonna dedicate my life to making sure that every beverage you drink until the day you die will just have a tiny little bit of my pee in it i mean pee is sterile that's not so bad why can't they just be co-valedictorians? It's not like when you put your shit on a college application, which if school is ending in two days, y'all should have been put that shit in anyway. Why can't you? You don't have to say I was co-valedictorian of the class of 2013. I can just be like I was valedictorian. Like who? Why was? Why would Brown give a shit about Artie Abrams? He's not applying there. Like Sue is just being so vindictive here. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, CJ, jump in on any of these characters you want. We have, uh, obviously, Artie, Tina, and Sue here. I uh, I have to imagine there's at least somebody here that we have some strong feelings towards. I mean, I just, I have to back what Amon was saying about Sue just being vindictive for the sake of being Sue. Because it, it doesn't make sense at all. And I think, I don't know, like the, the way that the college system is set up already in real life does not make sense. The way it is set up in this universe really does not make sense 
And so for all of the drama that this just creates throughout the episode is it's absurd. Yeah, it's uh, it's the two of them are going to end up uh, going into a little bit like it's crazy how they turn so fast from they were like such best friends singing together. And now they are uh, going off into a whole competition, like mad at each other. Like they just did so well in their senior years, two best friends, so proud of each other. And now they're going to be like angry at each other for the rest of the episode because of this. I mean, we'll see Tina's motivations and whatnot for it. I guess I'll get right into it. Uh, We're going to see over in the hallway, we're going to have Tina approach Artie. And she says, no need to write a speech. I wrote it for you. And Artie pulls out the piece of paper that she hands him. And it says, in the hollowed halls of McKinley High, one name rises to the top, Tina Cohen Chang. There is no other choice for valedictorian. I humbly drop out. And he hands it back to her and says, no me gusta. So she's going to plead with him. She really needs to get valedictorian in order to guarantee her acceptance to Brown, because if she doesn't get in, she's screwed. And Artie's going to say, well, it's not my fault. You didn't apply to enough schools. She's like, well, maybe I was too busy making sets and building, uh, uh, making costumes and building sets and swaying in the background while everybody else was front and center. They'll put that shit on your fucking application. <laughs> I mean, building sets and making costumes. That's that's a uh, that's the well-rounded shit that colleges eat up nowadays right if they have a theater department they have something for tech right exactly well she wants to be the star she doesn't want to be behind the she was uh, doing this not willingly i think is what she's trying to get at here because it's our usual po- uh, point of the season where Tina's is going to get all angry that she's in the background at all times uh, i mean you know what were, tween- were tina and Artie ever actually really 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 good friends since season one because I feel like after season one, we don't see them together ever. And they are really driving home this uh, Tina is best friends with Artie narrative, especially after it, they open up this season with the two of them at odds over Kitty and like Tina trying to like destroy the relationship. Like if I were Artie, I would actually be like, you know what? Actually, fuck you, Tina. Like, Yeah, well, I think I think maybe the narrative they're really trying to push here is that they're frenemies. I mean, not to be too uh, obvious about it, I guess, but. That I agree with you in full. I oh, think yeah, that I guess, Tina, I guess you're right, yeah. yeah, Tina kind of left Artie behind, especially when she was all over Blaine and Sam as like my two new best friends and Artie was off with Kitty. And now we've kind of seen the two of their relationship over this season. It feels like it has been way more frenemies than friends. So we haven't really thought about it or talked about it at all, but it kind of makes sense. Are you right. Are you right. <laughs> Well, yeah, so he's going to uh, tell her that uh, he's, you know, he's he's like, are you insane? You just won prom queen. What do you mean you get nothing? And she says, well, that counts against me. I read online that college admission directors think that high school prom queens are self-centered attention hordes, uh, attention whores. Who the fuck puts prom queen on their application? What is wrong with these children? The people who don't want to be known for building sets and costumes. Exactly. Oh, my God. Artie tells Tina, he's like, I think it's time you heard this. The whole school has been talking about it. Everybody is convinced that sometime between junior and senior year, an alien invaded your body and made you shallow and desperate. And she's like, says the nerd who's dating a Cheerio. And he's like, says the hag who vapor raped Blaine. She's like, that was totally blown way out of proportion. Yeah, I had a little crush on a guy who could never love me. But is that any different from you having a crush on a girl who can't possibly love you? He's like, Kitty does love me. She's like, please. She's obviously using you for some kind of sick charity project. And you're using her too. So that's what your speech can be about, about how you're making a sad last ditch effort to be popular by dating McKinley's biggest bitch. And he drops a bomb on her before he leaves by saying, actually, Tina, you're McKinley's biggest bitch. And I'm going to win this. I mean, he won it. He he won the argument. I know they're talking more about the competition, but he definitely read her a book. And I, oh my goodness, the rape comment while I was watching this episode just made me roll over in just 
agony because I thought that that it happened and I was just like, okay, it's over. It's done with. Cool. Never again. And then they bring it up. I was like, really? I thought we moved on. I thought this was forgotten. It was in the past. We wiped this away from my memory. They said, no, we're going to bring it back just for two seconds. But it's here. Yeah, she she really fucked up with that. Like, especially if she plans on keeping all of these people as friends for the rest of her life. She is never, ever <laughs> going to live, be able to live that down. Don't let any of your Glee friends speak at your wedding because <laughs> that will definitely be in one of their speeches. I love that, though. I like I feel like like to have a friend group where you can look back in 30 years from now. And I hope that they are still friends so they can be like. Like Blaine and Kurt, like at their kids' graduation party that Tina is invited to, and they're just going to be sitting around while the kids are all playing on the playground set, and they're going to be like, "Hey, Tina, remember that time that you vapor raped Blaine?" And she's going to be so embarrassed. That's what I want to see when we get the Glee reboot. I would never do that to you if you ever vapor raped somebody, Matt. I would never bring it up. <laughs> That's one of those things you let lie. You're like, no, nope, don't need to bring it up. <laughs> well, uh, just let's not vapor rate people. I think maybe we can uh, just go with that avenue instead. But yeah, uh, so Tina and Artie not really getting along very well. This episode is uh, going to continue on. But uh, speaking of Blaine, let's cut over to Blaine on the phone with Kurt. He is talking to Kurt about how, uh, well, Kurt's freaking out because he thinks that uh, Starchild is trying to take over the band. If you remember, when Starchild first got introduced to us, Kurt was not really in on the idea of him joining. He thought he was too big of a presence and he was not, you know, exactly what the band was looking for. Uh, Apparently, Starchild did an interview with the local magazine where he called the band his band. And he also wrote a new song and he was telling them that they have to do it. So it really feels like he's trying to impose like his agenda on things. Blaine's like, well, if you're really concerned, you know, don't let on, you know, you're supposed to keep your friends close and enemies closer, right? So keep him in close to you, which Kurt takes as a good idea. Uh, Kurt is going to remind Santana and Rachel that they have rehearsal tonight, but Rachel says she can't do it. They're having auditions for her understudy tonight, which she's upset about in the first place because she's like, I'm obviously never going to miss a show. Santana's like, wait, if Barry isn't coming, then neither am I which Kurt is going to be further annoyed by. He's like, we have to practice. What do you, what do you all mean that you're not coming? Rachel's going to ask them, can you guys just be a little supportive of me? You know, it's really hard being a star. And Santana's just going to sit there with this look on her face. Like she's, something's going on in there. She's thinking, um, we're not quite sure what. So I was entertained by Rachel. A lot of this episode, I know that might sound a little crazy, but the antics of it all, I feel like, because when Rachel was in, was in high school, right? She was just, a straight up annoying like nah like girl roll your socks down put some pants on ditch the skirts like sh- and shut the hell up sit down and shut the hell up like she was annoying as fuck but now that she has grown a bit and she has matured a bit and now she has like this big break that's coming like all of these antics these diva antics i just laugh at i'm like oh my god rachel seriously again like she becomes like a bit of a caricature of herself um, so yes, I mean she's starting. She's starting to like re- revert back into her old ways. But I feel like you know what? Well, I mean, talk your shit, Rachel. I mean, you definitely are on the cusp of becoming a huge Broadway star. I think a little diva behavior is here and then is a little fine, especially when you're with your friends. It's different when you are out in public to people that you don't even know. But like Kurt and Santana, they know who she is. Like she's just that's just Rachel. You know what I mean? So. I feel like her antics make more sense now because in Mm -hmm. high school, it's like, okay, congratulations. You're the star of a high school in who knows where Ohio. Like that means absolutely nothing versus now. Like, yeah, as you said, she has something 
that actually has value and in society's eyes it is also value so now it's like okay you know what i get it i understand i still personally not a, not a huge fan but i am more open to that mm-hmm. versus her high school diva behavior like I'm able to look past it for exactly that, right? Like she she's able, like she actually has something that, she, and plus we've been following her for so long, for like four seasons at this point. We know that she loves Barbara Streisand. We know that it's been her dream to play Fanny Bryce, one of Barbara's signature roles, and she got the role of a lifetime in the Broadway revival of Funny Girl. Like of course she's going to be protective of that. Of course she's going to want to show up to the understudy audition, even though I feel like she shouldn't. Be allowed to be there i feel like i mean i don't know much about broadway regulations but i feel like actors do not come to understudy auditions because that's just like why do they need to be there like that's that has nothing to do with them it's just all to do with the producers and directors but like i understand it i chuckled this time i'm like fine whatever rachel if you need to like feel your fucking diva oats right now fine <laughs> Yeah, well, speaking of Rachel, uh, we had a we're, we're going to get a number between Rachel and Santana at the photo shoot that uh, they were talking about earlier that Rachel was saying to Santana, you should come to. Uh, we're going to see the two of them there. Rachel in her full funny girl, you know, look and they're getting ready. She looks really uh, Rachel looks really excited to get on set and start taking pictures. And Santana's pumping her up. She's like, yeah, you look amazing. This is right where you're supposed to be. So get out there and, you know, go kill it. So as Rachel goes on to the set, we're going to break into this number uh, of Santana and Rachel singing Brave. Uh, Rachel is taking some pictures while Santana's really just watching, but then eventually Santana's going to emerge from the dressing area in this beautiful gold dress. Both girls are uh, singing along in this number that seems to not be actually happening, uh, which we'll get to in a second because uh, they're, you know, they're getting their hair and makeup all done. And we're going to start to realize that a lot of this is in Santana's head. Uh, She is going to, at the end of the song, kind of snap into it a little bit or snap out of it a little bit and Rachel looks to Santana who is still wearing the same outfit that she just was when she arrived and Rachel's like Santana go get into wardrobe go get dressed like come on get in the pictures uh this wasn't a musical uh you know photo shoot so obviously this was kind of made up but I really really enjoyed this number uh what do you make of it CJ I think it's wonderful. I always like moments where you kind of see a little bit more into Santana's mind and how like like she lets her own guard down. And so that was very interesting to see like at the from the start of the song she's like more like insecure a little bit and stuff like that and then she finally like steps out there and she's like in front of Rachel like on that stage and that kind of I guess it, it it's very it's momentous for her because all that time she spent like towards the end of last season and earlier this season just kind of still searching for I want that stardom. I don't know exactly what that stardom is, but I know that I meant for it. Da, yeah. da, 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 da. And now it's like, okay, cool. I got a yeast commercial. And it's like, oh, okay, now it's a magazine. <laughs> that's that's better. That's, that's a lot better. Okay. <laughs> and so that's always very nice to just see those moments where she's like, yes, this is what I want. I'm happy. Yeah, um, I I liked it too. I mean, I got all of that um, that CJ just said, and you know, you you see Santana watching Rachel as Rachel is in her element, right? Like posing for the camera in her Barbra Streisand wig, just on the cusp of something great for her career. And Santana is also there, you know, as her friend and supportive. But I mean, it's hard. I mean, you it's it's hard not to compare yourself to others, even if those others are friends, because you look at your if you're not satisfied with what you're doing, you you know, you're 
your mind is going to go places. So this was a vulnerable number for her, um, but also a powerful number for her. I think that she, you know, got a taste of something closer. Like, yeah, if it, you got the Yeezy Stack commercial, maybe it wasn't that. That didn't even pay. I mean, she didn't even get fucking royalties from that shit. She just gets a lifetime supply of Yeezy Stack. Like, what the hell? Um, and then you get the magazine cover. So you feel like, okay, this is this is a little better, but... I still feel like there's something else out there for me. So it was interesting to see her get to struggle with that during this performance. I think that she sort of blows uh, Rachel out of the water with this number, especially during the last chorus. Like, that last note from Santana, holy shit. Like, they sing the exact same phrase, and Santana just blows her out of the water with that crystal clear-ass belt. I was like, Yes! Like, I, every time I listen to this cover, I always rewind it to that part because I'm like, Rachel, what are you doing? Like, you're the belting queen, and Santana's out here overpowering your ass. I just loved it. I loved it. Yeah. I mean, we've been new, right? Like, sorry, Rachel, but Santana, sorry. Just, uh, yeah, this number, but this really, like, I, I think this is possibly my favorite duet of season five. Um, I, I know that I have it really ranked highly on, uh, on on my little spreadsheet of my own, but I uh, I'll have to, you know, get back to you guys at the end of the season to see if that's for sure. But the two of their voices do sound really good together on a lot of numbers that they uh, have together. Obviously, we had earlier on in this season um, a song that I cannot remember the name of right now. What was it? The... Uh, Hard Day's Night, the two of them, and then in season three with So Emotional, like they, they really do work well and feed off of each other well, but um, which I haven't even mentioned yet in this uh, episode, but we know to be a reality about the time that, you know, Leah Michelle and Naya Rivera did not always have the best onset relationship has um, been something that has been talked about for many years uh, since Glee was on the air. And I think this is really one of the times where uh, they were working together so much and we all, we know all the stories about Leah Michelle. So it's like, they, I, th- I wonder if they had been better friends and if, if they had gotten along better, if we would have gotten a lot more Rachel and Santana numbers. I feel like we had to get a couple because these two characters were so connected and because they can create such magical performances like this. But I wonder if we could have had so much more. I mean, maybe, but I'm sort of I'm sort of satisfied with what we do have, because once you start overdoing it, then it's like, Ugh, OK, I don't need any more. It's kind of like Mercedes and Santana. Like there's yeah. only a few numbers that we get from them, but every single one of them is a smash hit. There's another one coming up later this season that I cannot wait for i'm so excited with mercedes mercedes and santana yeah yeah okay i'm not gonna play this game again of i hope that we're talking about the same song but i feel like we are i think we (laughs) are because i don't think there's any other song that the two of them have together in this season well i still feel burned from last time so uh let me uh let me go easy on well uh, in my my defense it was it okay well you know what never mind Again, you didn't do anything wrong. I just thought that this was the song that we were talking about, but whatever. Uh, that'll that'll be fun when we get to it. Um, so yeah, any final thoughts on this number, CJ? I feel like we might have said it all, though. Yeah, I think we I think we said all that needs to be said. Like, there's no there's no critique for this. It's delightful. So let's go back to uh, Ohio. Let's check in at McKinley again, and we are in the choir room. Will is talking about how they have two solos to give out at nationals since Blaine was voted the new Rachel. Obviously, he has one, which. That's not really the reason why. I think the reason why is because he was throwing a fit in the last episode with puppets or two episodes ago, and they decided that he's been working so hard and they're going to give him a solo to make him feel better. But okay, 
Uh, Tina wants the other solo. Artie also wants the other solo. And Will says, all right, then we're going to have a good old fashioned sing off here, uh, right here, right now. And Tina and Artie are going to go into their second duet of this episode. My loving, you're never going to get it. CJ, do you like this one better? Oh, I definitely enjoy this a lot more than the previous duet between these two. Uh, it's, it's a lot more, I don't know, intense, I guess, obviously, because, you know, pressure's on now versus before. It's like, oh, happy, fun times. And now it's like, okay, we are competing for something. Let's go. Like, they have things that they want. They're at stake. It's more intense. It's more fun. And I remember the first time that I watched this, I thought the first time that Tina started pushing Artie, that she was going to push him down and she didn't because she pushes him twice and mm-hmm. so i was like i was like okay i thought it was going to go there they didn't go there okay cool and then flash forward 30 seconds later and she does i was like oh they went there <laughs> okay all right so that was definitely an unexpected moment that i think needed to happen i feel like it was a, a little bit of a humbling moment for tina to be like oh okay i'm gonna check myself really quick yeah, like I am going way too hard for absolutely no good reason. And I'm tr- like, not just physically, like really hurting people that are close to me uh, with the way that I'm acting. But yeah, Amon, I, uh, I I think they really do a good job to, uh, as CJ was saying, like kind of tease you into thinking that like, this was going to get so intense that Tina was going to push Artie over, but while she's like pushing him backwards, but then she doesn't do it. And then she doesn't do it the second time that she's kind of pushing him around. And we get these close up shots of both of them, like really intensely singing to each other. Like you feel the battle that I guess that's going on. And then all of a sudden at the very end, when she's pushing him like really aggressively and the, you know, the wheels trip over one of the wires and all of a sudden he's down on the floor and everybody has to rush to pick him up. I feel like she meant to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Am I the only one that feels that way? I feel like she got into the heat of the moment. She, I mean, like you're right, like you were just saying, she, she, she had her hands on him, like most of the performance, pushing him over and over and over again. At some point, you have to realize what's going to happen. I think the last time that she does it, she gets really pissed off and wants to push him over, and then as soon as he's about to fall, she regrets it. But I feel like she meant to do that. I feel like she, like, because what, I mean, what, she, there was nowhere else for him to go. Like, she started pushing him into the corner. Where was he going to go? You know, like, I just, I just feel like Tina has a mean streak and it came out. And then as soon as she saw herself in front of everyone else, it was like, oh shit, what have I done? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't doubt that she regrets it, but I just, I doubt that that's not what she meant to do. Imagine your high school legacy being the girl who vapor raped uh, the gay kid in her glee club and then pushed over the handicapped kid a couple months later. <laughs> exactly. It's like such a shame because this number bitch. is so fucking good too. Like this number was ruined by like every time I, I can't even listen to this number without thinking about already falling over from his wheelchair. It's just like shit. Yeah, like it's and you see like the look on everybody's faces around them as like the severity of what just happened like hits them. Like I don't think that, you know, this isn't like I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like, Artie isn't, like, in, like, immense pain after he falls over or anything like that. Like, he gets up and he's fine. But it's, like, this kid is already in a wheelchair and already, like, goes through it by having to live this life that he does. And then to be embarrassed the way that he does. Like, that's what I, I guess what I'm getting at. It's way more of a uh, embarrassment, like, 
the way he's feeling than it is like any physical pain he might have had from falling out of a wheelchair. Like he is not happy after that all ends. And she's like, I'm sorry, Artie, I really didn't mean to do it. And it's like, yeah, we've all apologized when we didn't mean to do something like that. Like, especially like, I'm, you know, memories flood back from being a kid where you like hurt one of your friends and you really hurt them way too hard. And you're like, didn't mean to do it. And then you have to go crying to like your mom. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to. So memories flooding back from that. Yeah. Like but, that's, uh, that's exactly how I, f- that's exactly what I think happened. I think that she meant to do that. And then she realized, Oh my God, that sucks. Like, why would I do that? Mm-hmm. And like everyone's looking at her like, you monster. And she's like, I'm sorry. It's like, no, you did that. Really not much else to. Uh... The second yeah. that the chair starts tipping, she's like, oh, no, I didn't mean to. Oops, oops, oops. It's like, <laughs> you knew what you were doing. Like you were walking with a force. There was some <laughs> pep in your step. You were ready for him to fall, to hit the ground. No person has ever pushed a wheelchair from that side of the wheelchair to uh you know create anything good you you know you're pushing a wheelchair you grab onto the handles in the back so that was always going to turn out the way that it did so yeah uh like i said the guys all rush over to help him up and they do he storms out of there uh you know pretty pissed off at her and you know justifiably so let's uh go back to new york for a little bit and we're going to see kurt invited elliot star child over uh to get to know him a little bit better because you know the girls couldn't rehearse today and kurt's talking to elliot in a very like condescending tone like oh so how long have you been performing how how, what are your dreams what is uh what got you started and he says to him he's like you're just so confident you may be the breakout star of the band and star child is like hitting him back with some like quirky quick answers he's like yeah no i am He's like, I mean, yeah, everybody brings something to the group, but it, it must be me. I'm the uh, I'm the breakout star. You're right. Uh, but he's like going to tell Kurt, you know, I started when I was young with piano, singing lessons. Eventually, I picked up the guitar. Uh, Kurt is continuing on with this same tone of voice, saying that he's just so amazing and he would love to learn from him. Uh, he's like, yeah, you could be the front man of our band if you wanted to be. Starchild is uh, he's obviously trying to bait him into saying, you know, that's what he wants to do. Starchild is eventually going to tell Kurt that, you know, you should get your own instruments if you want to learn, because I think you could really easily do it. Um, I will cut ahead to uh, to the two of them and hopefully not forget to go back, but Kurt and Starchild are going to go to the guitar shop together and he's going to ask uh, this guy that's just sitting there, hey, do you know that song by the darkness? I believe in a thing called love and they're going to go into this performance, which uh, just like the brave one, I really have a lot of good things to say about this one. But uh, what do you think about this one, CJ? I think it's it's definitely a very, a very fun performance. I think most of the performances this episode are really good in one way or another um so for this i've actually never heard the song outside of glee so couldn't tell you what my thoughts are in comparison but i think their their version of it was very nice and it was just a good vibe like in the guitar shop like it's just it's something different were you an american idol fan at all uh happy to see adam lambert here i was not an american idol fan no (laughs) well do you walk away from Glee with a good impression of Adam Lambert? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Aman, what do you think of this one? I love this performance. I think that they, uh, this is like a side of Kurt that we don't really see a lot at the time, you know, because he's so, you know, Broadway standards, which is fine. I'm not complaining, but this rocked out version of Kurt, like a little bit of grunge to his voice. I'm like, okay, okay. Kurt's balls are starting to drop a little bit. Like he was, you know, I was hearing a little bit of undertones, a little bit of those grunts and growls. I was like, all right, Chris Colfer, you better fucking let a bitch know. So yeah, I love this performance. I thought it was great. 
Yeah, they fed off of each other really well. Uh, you know, a bunch of extras in the in the music store with them and the guitar store, whatever you would call that place. Uh, they were all getting really into the song and, you know, climbing up on everything and just uh, really jamming out. Kurt letting loose a little bit. So I uh, wish Santana and Rachel were there to see him be a little less boring because they're obviously going to uh, call him that a lot. But uh, it is what it is. Really good number there. Um, not much else to uh, to talk about. It was really kind of quick, but that, uh, you know, Rachel, uh, not Rachel, uh, Kurt and Starchild still doing some light bonding. I guess Adam Lambert was available to come film for the day. And, you know, Rachel and Kurt are off. Uh, why do I keep mixing up names? Rachel and Santana are off doing something else. So, uh, you know, we have another set of potential frenemies here that uh, is going to enter the mix with these two. But speaking of Rachel and Santana, we're going to go over to auditions for the call uh, for the understudy for Rachel's part in Funny Girl. And we start off with a girl that's on stage. Amon, like, why do we need to go to this person of like this awful tone deaf performance? How did she get in the fucking doors? Like, okay. They had the open cattle call, right? For the first, for the, for, for, you know, for the first audition. Sure. You're going to get a few people in there that slip through the cracks that are bad. But for the understudy on Broadway? Never. That girl wouldn't even so much as set foot on Ellis Island, okay? Like, that was horrendous. (sighs) Didn't this happen also before Rachel had her audition that there was a girl that went before her that was awful? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like the open cattle call, fine, sure, fine. I'll, I'll, yeah, you know yeah, what? Yeah. You hold you hold open auditions. You're gonna get a few bad people in there. But for fucking understudies, like these people should already be vetted. These are people that should have probably already have been on been been on Broadway or Broadway adjacent before. Like that was just like, how did she get in there? How? Right. No idea. Well, as soon as she's done uh, singing, if you would call it that, Rachel's uh, Rachel's sitting next to uh, the director, of course, Rupert Campion, and she says to him, no wonder you hired me for this part. Nobody can sing in this town. He's like, no, I hired you because you are uh, spectacular. And Rachel's like, yeah, and incredibly healthy. You know, I plan on wearing one of those surgical masks that Chinese people wear once we're up and running because I do not get sick, which is why I do not need an understudy. So Rachel, you know, really foreshadowing the mask wearing. But he says the union says that you do need an understudy. So do the producers so do our insurance companies and so do i so she's like fine whatever how many more people do we have left and the director's like just a few uh santana lopez and rachel her face drops a thousand miles beneath the uh, beneath the floor uh she turns around and hit the music the it gets going and we're gonna see santana come out here and just completely take over the entire episode with a performance of a song that Rachel has done before, of course, all the way back in season one. This is Rachel's song, but it's not Rachel's song because Santana is going to come in and make a bid for it as well. Um, I don't even know if I said it yet, but of course Santana is going to come in here and absolutely wipe the floor with Don't Rain On My Parade, CJ. It is absolutely it brings me joy just seeing the clip of just rachel turning her head and seeing santana right there like right when the song starts it's just a moment that i could capture in time as like oh shit like nothing else just an oh shit moment the performance amazing dare i say santana's better than rachel's mm-hmm. yeah you know you dare know? you say yeah 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 <laughs> well might not 
might not be the most popular opinion, but uh, I'm happy to know that, you know, you also agree with me. <laughs> I, I do. Yeah. Just to talk about this before Amon gives his thoughts back uh, before we even started this podcast, I had been doing a uh, favorite songs of Glee po- uh, poll, like on my own Twitter account. And I was using like a website, whatever. And I had the don't rain on my parades up against each other. And I was a strong advocate for the Santana version. I admit that I'm biased because uh, I am a Santana stand through and through. Um, but I still have always believed that Santana's version was better. Um, I that's not a knock to Rachel's at all. Both of them are 10 out of 10 perfect, but I have Santana's having the edge. Uh, It's just incredible. So uh, I don't remember which version one I really should have looked. Um, I can go back at some point and find out. Um, But Aman, of course, got to turn to you for your opinions on this one. As yesterday, when you watched the episode, uh, I think you were reminded of just how good this one was. Look, okay. So I, I, this is a great performance from Santana amazing i don't think i've ever disliked it and watching it again after at least a year or so i was like oh yeah this is yeah santana she you know she she put her own little spin on the song and she she did it justice that being said in the context of the audition and the show funny girl the revival of the show funny girl i don't know if this is the better version. I don't think that it is. I think that this is a show about a New York Jewish girl growing up in, like, what, like, the 1970s, 60s? Like, Santana's style of singing and timbre, while beautiful, probably one of the best on the show, does not always match the genre of music that she is singing in, and I feel like you have to take that into account when casting. Now, I know that we had this conversation before on the podcast, and I said that Santana probably wouldn't even make it into the room to audition for Fanny Bryce. I feel like I take that back because Santana, of course, is a Latina woman. Santana also, to a lot of people, could be white passing. She could go on Broadway as Fanny Bryce. I don't know if she'll be the person that gets the role first in the revival, but Once Rachel or someone like Rachel takes the role, spends, I don't know, six or something months on on stage, depending on how long the run of the show is, and then they decide to bring in somebody else to take on the role because the first actress moves on, somebody like Santana, totally. I could totally see the casting director being a little more liberal and being like, you know what, why don't we bring Santana Lopez in? She's really, really good. She might have to tone down a few of the vocal embellishments here and there, but the voice is honestly there. She can do it. So when I made that tweet last night, that's kind of the point that I was trying to make in that, like, I feel like I was so adamantly against the idea of Santana Lopez ever being able to play Fanny Bryce on Broadway. I don't think that I feel as strongly about that anymore. I feel like there's definitely a world in which a Santana Lopez can be Fanny Bryce. That being said, I feel like if we're going to compare these two performances, I feel like Rachel still takes the cake because Santana's was a few clicks down in terms of key signature from Rachel Berry's. Rachel Berry sings it in the appropriate key. Santana takes it a couple uh, key signatures down. And for the, the musical theater nerd in me is like, up. Oh, you lose some points because you're not hitting the same notes that Rachel is hitting. And plus, the 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 timbre of your voice is just a little bit off. While it's a timbre that I like more than Rachel's, does it work for the show? Probably not. Is it a fantastic-ass performance? Yes, bitch. 
Santana fucking kills this shit. As you said, Santana made some points. She made all of them. Uh, I pulled up the poll that I had done. It had uh, it, it doesn't show me the exact amount of people that voted. I know it was at least like twenty or thirty or whatever, and uh, it ended up with Rachel in uh, the in the lead at the end of it. She I guess took that poll fifty four percent to forty six percent. But I think that's appropriate. I think that that I think that it should be polarizing like that. Like I feel like it shouldn't be a runaway, but I do think that Rachel should take it. Yeah, very. Uh, it's and, and I admit it's a very close competition. Even though Santana would edge uh, things out for me, but yeah. So she just shows up and absolutely kills this performance. She uh, wins over the director. Obviously, I mean, he just sat through "Beautiful Dreamer" by that girl, and uh, now she is up here taking this performance uh, a whole new place. And of course, the entire time she's singing, Rachel is looking extremely upset, extremely uncomfortable. Uh, She's super pissed off at the end. Uh, The director is going to be like, holy moly, that was amazing. Who are you? I mean, who even submitted you? She says, well, actually, I heard about this audition from Rachel. We're roommates and we went to high school together. Uh, He looks at both of them like back and forth. He's like, one high school produced both of you? Rachel, why didn't you tell me about her? So a couple points there. I mean, obviously... uh, we, I think we've talked about before about how, yeah, I don't know that One Glee Club would produce this much musical talent, especially random ass, you know, McKinley High in Ohio. Uh, but it did. <laughs> That's the world that we're living in. And yeah, CJ, Rachel is just not very happy right now, to say the least. Absolutely not. And I think she has a, a degree of right to be a little upset because um, she, she did her part in extending, you know, an olive branch to Santana and, you know, inviting her to come on the, the magazine shoot and for Santana to show up to this audition to her dream, her dream role of, you know, what Rachel has had on her heart for years and years. And Santana gave no warning. She didn't say like, hey, like I'm doing it. Like not, not even saying that she needed to ask permission, but just a heads up since she knows she's going to be there. And that's like, that's a blind side. And so in, in, in that regard, I get why Rachel is fuming. Yeah, I get it as well. Uh, but Aman, my thing uh, for this, which I think it's going to come up a little bit more uh, maybe later on, but point is I feel like I fully understand why Rachel is upset for everything you just said, CJ. I feel like she has a right to be annoyed or whatever she's feeling about how this all just went down. But... Aman, is this not something Rachel would do if she had the opportunity, if this was something that was presented to her as an idea that she could follow through with? If this was her that uh, was potentially going for the understudy of even if it was uh, like her closest friend, I don't know who is her closest friend, Kurt. I don't know if that would be the case, but she would do this as well. Oh, yeah. It's totally something that she would do. I mean, just look back at the election during senior year. Like she knew that Kurt needed that for his Mm Neon application and she went in after it as well. I mean, she eventually saw the light and withdrew from the competition. But then she went and stuffed it because she was like, I need my best gay with me in New York. So I need him for him to win. So she definitely has tendencies. I think that she's probably grown since then. But, I mean, she's a shark. You know, I mean, especially when it comes to shit like this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't... It's hard. Because I don't know... It's hard to compare the situation between Santana and Rachel because if this were Rachel, I don't think that you have to question whether or not she'd be doing it. You know what I mean? Like, for Santana, Santana has never really... I mean, she's she said to both of their faces, like, Broadway is, like, not my thing. 
So there was really no reason for Rachel to believe that Santana would do something like this. If the roles were reversed, you wouldn't even have to question whether or not. Like, Rachel would have been at that audition. Rachel would have been camped out at the theater the night before waiting for that audition to pop up. So you don't even really have to question it. There's no there's no chance for Rachel to be underhanded here. And I think that that's the... That's, that's the difference is where Rachel is not underhanded. Like you see her coming. She's not a wolf in sheep's clothing. She's a wolf. You see her coming for Santana. Like she got the element of surprise and she knew that it would work to her advantage given the type of person that Rachel is. So I understand why Rachel's upset, but at the same time, it's like, well, we're about to talk about the argument. So I'll I'll let you get to that first. Yeah. Uh, Kurt and Rachel are back at the apartment. Uh, Santana is, is as well. Uh, Kurt's telling Rachel that she doesn't own that song. Rachel's like, well, it's Barbara's song. And when she goes, it's going to be my responsibility to sing it. Uh, Kurt's like, do you realize how insane you sound? She's like, it's completely inappropriate for her to have tried out without telling me. Uh, Santana, like I said, is uh, is there as well. She shows up and she's like, hey, Rumi's talking about me. Rachel is going to demand to know why she auditioned without telling her. Uh, Santana says that she would have, uh, fi- they would have been fighting about it anyways so she figured she may as well go for it uh and then they can fight about it afterwards so that rachel didn't have a chance to stop her rachel's going to tell her that uh everything i think that you were kind of already touching on that fanny uh fanny is a new york jew you know you playing that role is like me being the grand marshal of a puerto rican day parade uh she's like what if you weren't playing fanny what if you weren't playing the lead and i came home and said that i had auditioned to be an understudy like would you still feel so strongly she's like i'm arguing on principle this is not personal santana uh santana says bullcrap you have all this talk about forgiveness for high school, but the reality is that you just love having something over me. These past couple of months with you in rehearsal and me waiting tables has been such sweet revenge for you, and you can't stand the idea that I might get mine too. And Rachel tries to to defend herself. She's like, but I got you on the cover of New York Magazine. And Santana's like, yeah, in the background, and you were practically glowing about it. Rachel says, no, I accomplished something. It had nothing to do with you. And Santana says, no, you see, it has everything to do with me, actually, because every step you take in this city is fueled by all the hate that we gave you all of that ambition is just you trying to prove prove us wrong which is fine rachel i mean whatever works for you just don't say that it isn't uh kurt's gonna try to interject here and get them to cool off a little bit and rachel's like no but you're the one who can't handle it you can't handle that i have made it and you are the one that's begging to be my understudy santana's gonna hit her back one more time with uh just admit it just admit that after all your years of singing lessons dancing lessons and only child adoration from your gay broadway dads that i am just as good as you but unlike you i can be popular in high school and still make it big after graduation so just admit that no matter what you do or how far you go you will never be able to scratch that itch you will never be able to look down on me and redeem yourself because i was better than you then i'm always going to be better than you because you are short you are awful and that is never going to change and we're going to get interrupted by another good old glee slap from rachel to santana uh it's been a while since we've had one of those it just fuels you right as a glee a glee fan you just uh those glee slaps mean a whole lot to us um i'm being dramatic but uh yeah rachel slaps her across the face and as the two of them just stand there you know reeling from the slap for about a, a half a second uh rachel says to santana that she thinks that she should move out santana agrees and kurt is still freaking out because he's like this is crazy we're friends but that's it but that's not it, actually, because at the very end of the scene, after all the drama has unfolded, Santana's going to get a phone call before she heads out, who, of course, uh, she's call- She's on the phone with uh, Rupert Campion, who is going to tell her that she is officially Rachel's understudy. So she's like, all right, I'll see you at rehearsals, Barry. This is a lot. I feel like 
it's it's not great for Santana. Like she's not looking great here because all of that that guilt that you guys were talking about earlier is kind of spilling out once more in her talking about you you're holding this over this over me like you're so happy to to have bested me at something and this is revenge for all the mean things we did to you in high school and blah 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 and it's really not. Like, I think there's moments where where Rachel might make a dig. Like, oh, it's so hard being a star or something. But those, those aren't directly digs at her. I think that's Rachel very happy to have this dream again that she's been chasing for so long and to be in a place where her talent is more recognized than it was at, like, McKinley. Like, obviously it was recognized. But by her peers, they were just kind of like, eh, you're a little bit annoying. Uh, versus in New York, you know, she's at Nyata and or was at Nyata. Is she still at Nyata? I don't remember. I'm so yeah, sorry. Yeah, she's still there. <laughs> okay, I was like, I am so sorry, but like, yeah, it's 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 just a different environment, and she's surrounded by different people. So I feel like at this point, she's kind of she she's not looking necessarily for revenge in this moment. I think you know there's there's room for it, but like that was not her motivations behind why she was mad, and so Santana kind of going off on this tangent and this little rampage doesn't look good for her. It's just you can very clearly tell that she's insecure and while she does get some good jabs on Rachel, it doesn't necessarily make her look the best. Mm. So, I mean, I feel like it's both for me. I think that Santana is absolutely right. I think that Rachel probably does take some sort of some sort of joy Maybe joy is not the right word, but I think it's vindication. It's like satisfaction and like this girl was so horrible to me. And here we are in New York City. I'm about to like get the role of my dreams. And yes, like we're, we're, we're a lot more friendly now. Things aren't as bad as they were then. But it does feel just a little good that Santana is now underneath me because I spent like the past three years underneath her. And like I finally get this chance to break out from under that which of course i mean that's a natural feeling to feel because santana was awful to her like of course if somebody is awful to me for years and then i finally like prove myself over them you're damn right i'm gonna be like i might not rub it in their face but i'm gonna i'm definitely gonna be at home being like yes bitch like i won in the end so i definitely think that there is um some of that going on i also think that rachel wants things to be put behind them as well i think that I think it's a lot easier for her to be nicer to Santana because of the fact that she is um, on the cusp of making her dreams come true. I think that, that makes people generally just nice people when things are going well for them. But I also think that, there, yeah, there is, like, some kindness there where she wants Santana to feel like, look, like, we're in this together. Like, we're friends now. Like, let's, you know, have bygones be bygones. But I think that Santana was absolutely correct. I think that San- I think that Rachel was... Um, happy about it and yeah every every step that she takes in new york city is going to be fueled by all of the hate that she got from high school and as it should be if that's what if that's what if that's what's going to fuel you then sure so i was glad that santana made that point like that's fine if that's what it is but like just don't pretend that it isn't i do think that she might have been like overestimating just how much satisfaction that rachel was getting out of it like she made it seem like rachel (laughs) was like being so horrible about it when in reality No, I don't think that Rachel was. I just think that she was just happy about something that was happening to her. But I think that there is a bit of insecurity for Santana as well, because here's Rachel, the girl that you were so mean to, like, and you already admitted to it in the beginning of the episode. Look, 
I feel some kind of guilt because I was so mean and here you are being so nice. So to me, that that you haven't forgiven yourself. You're the person that's still dealing with this far more than Rachel is. And so for you to be like, you know what? Like, she's probably so happy that, like, I am, like, underneath her right now. Like, let me show her real quick. I just, I don't doubt it for a second that Santana was like, yeah, I need to, like, I need to, like, reestablish my dominance here. Because for all of the bells and whistles and all the arguing and shit, Santana is just as talented as Rachel, if not better in certain respects. So, of course she's going to try and, like, reprove herself. Because if Rachel Barry can fucking do it of all people, then so can she. So, I thought that this was expertly written. I thought that this showed a lot of the nuance in between both of these characters. Because, yes, they're trying to come together. They're trying to mend fences. But there is still so much baggage the two of them never really took care of. To the point where <laughs> something like, when something like this happens... Of course there's going to be a disconnect. Of course you're going to start arguing again. Because you guys never actually took the time to mend the fences that you want to mend. You moved in with her, and then that was it. That was it. Like, you get, you guys didn't talk about, like, the shit that you had going on. And so now it's all coming up. Right. Like, this is how things always were between the two of them back in high school, where, you know, even when people started to tolerate Rachel for as long as they did, there was always that, you know, underneath the surface was everybody knew that Rachel was kind of a monster to work with. Like, she was just never somebody that was, you know, she wanted all the leads in the solos, but they knew she was talented. And they all had the same common goal of winning at sectionals, regionals, nationals, to the point where people would kind of give in and be like, all right, Rachel, go for it, you know. But they eventually, you know, also decided that they didn't want to just be content with that uh, fully and that's when the whole Trouble Tones thing broke out and they ended up getting their own separate number for the competitions which kind of kept everybody happy. Now that we're in this new world of, you know, uh, being you know, they're not in the same not like they're in the same world as in, you know, New York City together and, you know, moving forward into the next step of life together, but they're not in some kind of, you know, similar glee club anymore. Yeah, they're in a band, but that's not anything like competitive or anything like that. And they don't have any goals or anything like, you know, whatever. So that competition between them is obviously kind of coming back out, uh, mostly from Santana. I agree that I don't think that Rachel uh, was was really like, I don't know that I don't know how much she was thinking that how much she was thinking, like how much she was feeling good about herself being the lead while Santana was a model in the background like it could have easily been there and I mean it's so far like it's nowhere near out of like the question that that's something that Rachel would have been feeling Uh, I just don't know that that was on her mind I think she's just so focused on herself she wasn't thinking like oh look at Santana back there like she I felt like she was doing a genuine thing to help a friend but the relationship like you said that these two have had and they never really like fully talked about or hammered out was one where of course Santana's going to feel this way because that's just how things always were. Um, and, you know, it's nice that they had been able to become friends and kind of move forward and things, but Santana has been feeling, you know, I, th- I don't think it's just this episode that she mentions this, that she's kind of lost, not exactly sure where she's going next. Uh, so the fact that she's been feeling this way while Rachel is thriving, uh, you know, beginning a Broadway career that, like, what that's literally all she ever wanted in life. This is literally her dream job that she's getting one uh, year after, you know, getting at high school Santana's like all right wait so I gotta be able to do something too right like uh, she she said at the end of season three she had these dreams to go to New York and be a star as well so we always knew that that was there but now that she's seeing you know Rachel the girl that she like I agree again I'm on that I think that like a lot of this is coming out from Santana where this has been weighing on her a little bit more heavily than it ever was on Rachel but I think it always was because again Rachel always asserts herself to be that person that's the star and if you want to take her down from that you have to go in there and aggressively take her down 
down because she's never going to bring herself back down herself. So yeah, there's a, I, I, there's a lot here. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why I, I love this scene so much. Cause I feel like there's so much, there's so many ways to take it. And like I said before, I, f- I feel like she, I feel like in terms of Rachel, I think that, yeah, I think that both things can be true. I think that she can be happy that her and Santana are friends. I think that she can be happy that she is um, making her dreams come true. And I also think that she can also feel some sort of solace in the fact that Santana isn't on the same level. I mean, because we, I mean, we saw it at the beginning of the season when they're in, when she's talking about her Yeastistat commercial and Santana, or Rachel looks visibly jealous and uncomfortable. It's like, really like Santana is like doing better things than me Rachel Berry so like that happens first then Rachel gets up on it and then Santana's back down and now Santana's back up so it's just like the two of them are always fighting subconsciously and they never fucking deal with their bullshit so I think I think that ultimately I think Santana is probably more in the wrong in this situation I think that there's, there's absolutely no problem with Santana wanting to become an understudy. I don't think there's any problem with that. But I think that Rachel is right in that, like, you could have at least told me. You've never even talked about wanting to be on Broadway before. Now, all of a sudden, you're trying to be my understudy. And, uh, yeah, like, your sole purpose is to hope that I don't go on so that you can go on. And it's like, I don't think that Santana would be that low to actually try and fuck over Rachel and take the part. I don't think that she would do that because being an understudy on Broadway is a job and that's something that you can put on your resume. It's damn near just as good as being in the show. You know all the steps, you know all the moves, you know all the blocking, you know all the the the, the production crew like you know everything. You just don't get to perform all the time. So I don't think that Santana would steep that low. But I understand Rachel's apprehension to be like this is my dream. Like I've wanted this role for so long and now all of a sudden you are trying to take it from me. So, yeah, we could. I could talk about this scene all day. I think I just think that there's so much to unpack here. <laughs> yeah, CJ, do you have any uh, more thoughts on this before we uh, move forward back to McKinley? I feel like we wrap this all up. There's so much to say that I feel like if we continue this conversation, we will be talking about it for at least I don't know 20, 30 <laughs> more minutes. It's also possible, I just yeah. love Santana's <laughs> last lines. Like you are short. You are awful, and that is never going to change. She just had to get the short dip in there. She just had to. Yes. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's the, the typical Santana flair that she can add on to things to just kind of cut a little bit deep uh, in a moment where, you know, she kind of pulls out of all of her cards at once, and uh, that slap. Uh, CJ, you, I, I know you said you haven't watched it in a while, but uh, do you, I'm sure you remember the Quinn Rachel slap oh, in the bathroom. Oh, I, I absolutely – listen, I don't forget slaps. Yeah. Do we They're delightful. Rank, do we want to rank the slaps uh, for between these two? I don't know if we oh can. Oh my goodness! I think I would give it to Quinn. I feel like Quinn is more of a. Uh, oh wait, no. We have to also add in Quinn slaps Santana and Santana slaps Quinn. Yeah, they like they trade tit for tat that time. Hmm. I think I put Rachel at the bottom of the slappers. Definitely. I feel like Quinn. She just there's something about her slapping, and it's just it's it's immaculate. She's yeah. got great timing. Like she's just ready. Like you want to thank her sloppy. afterwards, not be mad at her. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. So uh, the uh, the full slap podcast coming uh, soon to your feeds. <laughs> we'll get into all the glee slaps. Um, I know that sounds ridiculous, but I would do it. Um, oh, let's go back a slap to McKinley. Coming up in season six. That's not from Rachel Santana or Quinn, and I cannot wait for it. I don't think you would probably remember what I'm talking about, Matt. But like, oh my god. <laughs> 
I immediately, uh, it's not coming to mind, but uh, I look forward to it. Uh, we're going to go back to McKinley. We're going to see Sue welcoming everybody to the valedictorian speech off. Uh, we got some dramatic Sue music that plays when she's like being a monster in the school, but this time it's being used for Tina and Artie who are approaching each other on the stage. We see Sue sitting next to her panel of judges, Coach Beast to her left, Will and Figgins to her right. I don't know why Figgins agreed to do this. I know how much he hates Sue, but whatever uh, they are talking about uh, or they're about to get into the uh, the speech off she says to them uh, Sue tells them that their job today is to decide which of these speeches is slightly less awful that being said allow me to present absolutely nobody's favorite new direction Tina Cohen Chang. Tina's going to get up there and begin her speech by saying, my fellow graduates, I feel like I was a different person when I first arrived at McKinley four years ago. I was a goth chick who was so intent on pushing people away that I pretended to have a stutter, which I now understand wasn't even that convincing. I wasn't even good at stuttering, but then something in my life changed. Someone, actually. In fact, that someone changed me, and that person's name is Artie Abrams. And we see a cutaway to Tina apologizing for Artie for what happened in the choir room with her pushing him over. And she says to him that she's still one of his best. Uh, she he's still one of her best friends. And he all he can say back is ditto. So I guess they made up. Uh, Artie says uh, no, she says she, she continues on. Artie taught me how to not only be myself, but he's an inspiration to high school students everywhere. And I believe that he should be given the title of class valedictorian. Is it a bridge too far to call Artie Abrams an American hero? I think not. And as he strains to push his wheelchair up that ramp, the ghosts of fallen heroes follow close behind. Rosa Parks, Gandhi... Uh, Artie's going to go into his speech and say, sure, I've adver- uh, experienced adversity. One Christmas, I was even given a pair of mechanical legs that allowed me to walk for an hour before they promptly broke. Uh, but I've never been so humbled as I was the moment that Tina Cohen Chang wiped the slushy off of her gown and triumphantly returned to the stage to claim her rightful crown as prom queen. That's why I respectfully re- withdraw myself from consideration and ask that Tina be named this year's valedictorian. It is no exaggeration to say that Tina took my broken body in her arms and taught me how to love. Uh, she says Artie Abrams holds the torch of dignity Uh, he's going to ask please respected judges cast your lot for Tina she is begging them to vote for Artie uh, and that's really the gist of it here Sue's going to thank them Figgins was crying uh, and Sue says I think uh, something that I can agree with that this was a waste of everybody's time and she hates them both Uh, the judges are not going to make their decision right now and uh, that's that so uh, CJ what do you make of all that you know, it was, it started great. It started like, oh, so wholesome. How, like, friendship. And then it just, in typical Glee fashion, got very dramatic, very fast. And, you know, I, Tina is something else. <laughs> that was, that, that, that's that, honestly. She's like, he stands next to Rosa Parks. I said, no, Tina. I'm going to need you to dial it back. I get the sentiment. I get where you're going. But you just shoved this man out of a wheelchair. You're going to need to dial it back. Oh, my God. Like, Rosa Parks, really? Like, Rosa Parks is in her grave. Like, now, why the hell am I getting brought into this shit? Like, (laughs) if y'all want to leave her alone, like... Uh, which is a little bit too saccharine for me. Just just, even even for me. And, you know, like, I'm, I'm the king of sweet sentimentality but no nah. and I, I agree with sue here the both of you have succeeded in making me hate the both of you but you know what fine fine if you want to be friends again and you know show everybody that you're not gonna fight i i like it i like it but the scene was just so sweet toothed oh 
Yeah, especially because like this whole thing really did kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, this Tina and yeah, Artie, we didn't get to see uh, them reemergence. Like, yeah, like it, it, we the the making up kind of was really passed over so quickly in there after that dramatic fall that Artie had taken uh, or the push that you know whatever it was. So I don't know, it just felt a little uh, a little quick, but whatever. Um, not a, not a huge deal. I get the point of this episode was obviously in the final few days of this school year at McKinley. They wanted to highlight uh, two of the characters who have been there since day one. So obviously Artie and Tina getting uh, all of the attention at uh, the school for the day, which I don't hate um, at all. I wish it could have been something like a little bit more fun or creative than just uh, a fight over valedictorian. But I don't know, I guess uh, the stakes kind of just present themselves to you when you're working in a high school setting. So that's that. Unless anyone else has any uh, final thoughts on the, uh, the debate that wasn't even anything. No, I'm good. Not really. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, We'll, we'll check in with them a little bit later to see exactly how things go. But uh, of course, the the stars of this episode, uh, we can't get enough of them. Back at uh, back in New York, Santana is going to show up for rehearsal for the day. She's got her makeup kit with her. Rachel walks in and asks what she's doing because apparently Santana found her way to Rachel's dressing room. Uh, She's like, you may not know this because you haven't been interested in Broadway since the day we met, but the star gets her own vanity and there's a perfectly fine bathroom mirror upstairs for the understudy. Uh, Santana says, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot how much room you need for all that hooker makeup that you plaster on your face every day. Rachel threatens to slap her again and Santana's like, well, I would love for things to get physical because I would hit you so hard that you won't be able to wake up until you're old enough to be funny lady uh rachel says you are never gonna play this part she says i know you're planning on getting all showgirls crazy on me and pushing me down the stairs and poisoning my oatmeal but you're gonna have to kill me first and even then i will come back from the dead and play this part just to spite you uh as they are fighting rupert's gonna come in and tell them uh to stop fighting they're like this isn't gonna work we have a past we can't we can't be working together and he says to them that you guys are incredibly talented especially santana that's why she's here right now to be your understudy and if you guys want to fill this place for the the first show we need all the press that we can get he says he has a ton of journalists that are begging to break this story of two girls from the same high school in ohio who made it big in the same broadway show two old friends finding fame love and fortune in the big city he's like it's a hell of a hook and you're going to get plenty of attention individually but as a team you will be twice as famous so from now on i want both of you to be joined at the hip you're gonna uh santana you're gonna need to know every single move that fanny makes in the show starting with scene 14 so rachel you're gonna run it first then santana you afterwards uh I don't know what happened between the two of you in the past. Honestly, I really don't care, but it's all puppy dogs and rainbows from now on until this show closes. So we're going to go into a performance as uh, Rachel kicks Santana out of the dressing room for good to go to the bathroom upstairs. Um, they're going to go into a performance here of every breath you take them on. Oh, great performance. Great performance. Awesome performance. Love the way that everything is shot. So great. Just amazing. They sound amazing. Awesome. Can't say anything better about it. I don't know why Rachel thought it was a good idea to uh, try and fight Santana physically because you know damn well that your ass would get whooped. Okay, so I don't even know why she would even bring that into the question. Um, But the director obviously is uh, smart here because this is a story that I most certainly would be interested in. Like, two girls from the same high school, one gets the lead, one gets the understudy. Like, I would totally buy into that story. So it's definitely smart. And it definitely would launch the both of them into immediate stardom. I mean, starring in a Broadway revival of Funny Girl is one thing. But, like, with this sort of, like, drama and scandal attached to it, like, oh, my God. Like, they should totally, like, latch on to this. Like, this would send both of them into, like, 
it, it would just be amazing. Like, the director is smart here. So, yeah, I mean, Rachel is just hurt. She's just, she's going from angry to just being upset now. Like, she just can't believe that, like, this is, like, her moment and it's being ruined and tainted by Santana. And Santana's not going to back down either because she is also, like, she's getting close to something, like, to make herself feel feel good. So neither one of them are going to back down and it just is what it is. I I definitely want to just take a moment to talk about the irony of Rachel making this showgirls reference as though Rachel would not be the one shoving a girl down the stairs. <laughs> I just that caught me off guard. Like not off guard, but I was just like, Rachel, you're such a hypocrite. You know if the roles were reversed. That would be you. <laughs> that you would just chuck them. It's over. Uh, but honestly, I think as a whole, very fun. I feel like now, like this scene kind of tilts the tilts the scales, tilts tips the scales a little bit from what it has been where things were kind of in Santana's favor in the, the brave moment a little bit. And you got to kind of see her like what she wants to see as success versus now with the I'll be watching you cover where now it's the reality is Yes, Santana has has an in, but Rachel is still the one who has more power in this scenario. Yeah, she certainly does. Um, but the two of them are, they have no choice here. Uh, as uh, uh, Rupert's going to tell them, you guys need to uh, work together. Like, this is what it is now. If you both want to be here, then you're both going to be here because I want you both here. And that's what the show is going to be growing for because of this story that the press wants to uh, run with. So I promise it'll work out for both of you if you can just kind of drop whatever stupid things you're fighting about from your past and just kind of look forward. This is mutually beneficial. Um, and as the rehearsal goes on, they both come out. They're doing the same scene. Rachel still looking super annoyed. And yeah, like the closing line of the song being like every single day I'll be watching you. And Rachel's like looking on at Santana from like the, you know, the staging of this, they try to uh, be real cute with it as uh, Santana is just, you know, doing her job that she just got hired to do. And Rachel is still, you know, not going to be okay with it. So uh, yeah, that's Rachel's dream kind of being uh, walked all over uh, or how that's how she feels. It is uh, going down with uh, Santana now being here and intruding on the space that Rachel has been creating for herself so that's that um we'll of course check back in with them one more time before the episode ends to see how things are playing out but uh, another set of frenemies that we have not talked about in a little bit kurt and Starchild are back at the loft bonding over some records and baked goods and Starchild is going to come up to kurt say uh this is really weird i know it sounds kind of strange but i'm glad we met you and i because you're the first gay friend that i've met in this city who isn't crazy or just trying to hook up uh he's like but i do know what you're doing here he he knows that kurt thinks that Starchild was trying to take over the band and kurt doesn't try to you know tiptoe around it. He apologizes. And he's like, I was just trying to figure out, you know, what your deal was. Uh, Star Child says that, you know, we're both talented. Why don't we go out there and kick ass together? I mean, I'm a part of your band, right? Uh, so the two of them are going to kind of make up here real quick. And Kurt, uh, they go they go to take a selfie and uh, they go to take this picture and then they have to do it over again. And then by the for the do over picture, uh, Kurt is taking the picture while star child leans in to kiss him on the cheek or uh, was he actually kissing him on the cheek or he was like, was there distance or was there connection there. I think he did actually in the end. I think yeah, she was kissing him on the cheek. I think he was, but it was like a very very like scratching the surface kiss on yeah, the cheek. Yeah, it was like a small peck. So, minor question, but do you think it would make a difference in terms of like how Blaine would feel about it whether there was or wasn't connection? Maybe a slight one. Maybe a little bit. I feel right? like I'd be neurotic enough to be like <gasps> 
his lips are on my fiance's face. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I feel like so they're maybe. probably that probably would not make Blaine too happy. Um, but yeah, so they uh, they take that picture and I guess it's going up on the Instagram and that's that. But yeah, we're we're friends again. Anyone anyone care about this? I mean, it's uh, I'm just I, mean, I'm, I am happy to have Adam Lambert here. Star Child is a really fun character to me, even though he's not, you know, doing a whole lot. But uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a fun friendship. I'd much rather see Kurt with Adam Lambert than I would rather see Kurt with Adam from the Adam's Apples. I'm on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. I was I was surprised that he put it up online, but I guess that's just to show like the comfortability that they have with one another, and like that it's just strictly platonic. It's nothing more. It's just yeah, we finally got that out of the way. Like we're no longer going to be you know at odds with one another. Like I'm not trying to steal your band. Like let's 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 lay together. Let's be the gays that slay together, and not fight or hook up. <laughs> the gays that slay. That's that's uh, the great name for their band when they break off into a two-person band yes so yeah that's that we're gonna go back to new york uh, not in new york uh, we're gonna go back to ohio for another brief final check-in as sue has called Artie and tina into her office to tell them that they actually split the vote it was a tie which you put together a four-person panel how did you not expect that that could happen wait uh so how do we think the votes went down uh if the two of them got two votes each figgins voted for you know, we have to break this down as uh, reality TV fans. Uh, Figgins voted for Artie. Will voted for Artie because Tina's annoying. Wait, was Figgins? I don't think the... anyone would have voted. Wait a second. Oh, wait. Well, I wasn't thinking that Emma was there. Okay, it was, it was Figgins, Will, no. Beast, and Sue. I'm having a hard time finding Tina's two votes. I feel like I feel like there's no way it could have been Sue. There's no way Sue would have voted for Tina. There's just no. none. So... So maybe Will Will had to have been a vote for Tina. Who else would have? And then maybe Coach Beast. Yeah, Will and Beast, I feel like. Yeah. Maybe Figgins voted for for Tina because, you know, Asian solidarity. <laughs> uh, also, by the way, Figgins' final episode in season five. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. He, definitely, he, vo- he definitely voted for Tina then. He went out with a bang. So he <laughs> voted for Tina. I feel like maybe... Me, I, I feel like Coach Sue actually probably did vote for Tina. I feel like she's all woman power here. Like, as much as she like doesn't really care for either of them, like she she has more like she has more like issues with with Artie than she's ever had with Tina. All she ever talks uh, tells uh, says to Tina is Asian number one. But I feel like girl probably girl power probably swooped in here, and I feel like Coach Beast always works with Artie on the shows, so they probably have a bit more of a rapport. And the same with Mr. Shu. Like, he probably got tired of fucking Tina. And he was there for, like, when he, he when she pushed him over. So she probably, he probably voted for her. So it's probably, or him. So it's Beast and Will for Artie, Sue and Figgins for Tina. Okay. Um, I'm glad that we, uh, we we figured that all out because that's uh, the most interesting part of all this. Until, um, <laughs> until the end of time. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so the two of them are uh, are in a tie, and it turns out that the way to break that tie is by passing over both of them and going straight to third place, who, of course, is going to be Blaine Anderson. Uh, so Sue lets them know that. The two of them go and find Blaine, who says he's so sorry. He feels awful. He's like, sometimes I just feel like things get handed to me out of nowhere. Uh, and they're like, hmm, really? Never noticed that. And he's like, yeah, you know how like Mr. Shoe sometimes gives me more solos than anybody else? And uh, uh, before he can continue on with that, which he's not wrong about um the the self-awareness so glad it's there uh even though it's really in presented in an annoying way becky's gonna come running up and screaming gay blaine when did you break up with pancake face 
Uh, he would like her to stop calling her his fiance Pancake Face. And he's like, no, Becky, we're not broken up. Becky's going to show him the picture on social media of Kurt and Starchild, where obviously uh, Starchild was leaning in for the kiss, might have actually made contact with Kurt's face there. And uh, she, he's like, no, Becky, they're just friends. Uh, Becky's like, yeah, friends, my ass. Pancake Face is getting some. Oh, snap. Well, Becky is just a little salacious little uh, little girl, isn't she? <laughs> um, CJ, do you love Becky as much as we do? Oh, I love Becky. She is just she. Th- what she brings is just so it's it's refreshing. It truly is, and I just I enjoy it. <laughs> I could not agree more. And uh, what do you make of uh, of this decision to pass over Artie and Tina and go straight to Blaine? I mean, I think it's bullshit, but. It's Sue Sylvester. Like, what What more would you expect at that mm-hmm. point? Because, like, she doesn't have the patience for this. She has other things to be doing. Right. Well, we're going to go back to the choir room. And Will is talking to the kids about how Tina and Artie both are passing over the uh, solo opportunity at Nationals. So we still need somebody else uh, to sing a solo, uh, you know, right after Blaine does his. Blaine's going to come in and talk about how he has been oddly asked to be the valedictorian. And rather than a typical boring speech, he was hoping that he could uh, affect people by singing instead, which, of course, uh, Artie is like, I can't wait to watch Principal Sue assassinate you after you do that, because we all know that she's not going to like it. Uh, Blaine says that he wanted to have the two of them sing with him because of how this all just went down. So he's like, and, and Tina, we can even like film us rehearsing and we can send it off to Brown and they're going to love it. And, you know, you'll get in, whatever. Uh, so she throws in one final, oh, Blaney days. And uh, I guess they're going to agree to do that. So Artie also seems down to do this as well. So we'll see them in a few minutes as they get to their final performance of this episode but we have to close things out in new york with a final scene with rachel santana and kurt rachel's going to open things up by telling them uh by telling santana we can't all live here anymore one of us has to go santana says that she paid rent for three months though and uh you know she never got a bed but she says that she has squatters rights they tell kurt that he's the deciding vote and santana's like well i guess i should pack my stuff now because we know who he's going to side with kurt says he's not picking either of them he's like this is ridiculous we are friends and i'm not going to let something like this break us up rachel's like no this is betrayal kurt this is exactly how friends break up kurt's like but she only auditioned to be your understudy rachel how is that betrayal and she is like let me break it down for you the sole purpose of an understudy is to hope that the lead never gets on she only wins if I lose and I can't be around that negative energy anymore. This is my big break and she is poisoning it. Kurt says, even if she never went out on that stage, this would be a very important job for her. And I'm a little disappointed that you can't find the generosity in your heart to see that. Yes, uh, she said, she says, you know what? If you think that she is just some babe in the woods who is perfectly fine with living off the scraps of my star sandwich, then you are naive and willfully ignorant. Uh, she would kill for this part. And uh, he's like, yeah, well, she has been awful to us before, but I believe her now. Uh, Chris Santana realizes that uh, pasty gay, as she calls him, is siding with her. He's like, no, I'm not siding with either of you. I just want to sit down, order a pizza and talk this out. Rachel says, you know what? You guys can do whatever you want in this apartment because I'm leaving. And let me tell you something, Santana. You and I have just been pretending to be friends ever since we did that stupid number in the choir room after graduation. All happy and supportive, but it's all crap. You and I have never been friends and we never will be. Rachel starts to leave. Kurt's trying to stop her. Uh, Santana says, no. You know what? Stop. Let her go. And uh, hey, Rachel, leave the matches. Why don't you? Rachel says, uh, I am on the cusp of something that most people never even touch a dream come true. I'm going to be a star on Broadway. And I'm not going to let one moment of this amazing life altering experience be ruined by two friends who aren't even my friends. So that's it. All right. 
I'm leaving. I'm done. I'm out of here. And that's it. She's out. She's going to head out. So we're going to see as this final number of the episode begins, the new directions, uh, specifically Artie, Tina and Blaine are going to go into Kelly Clarkson's breakaway. And as this whole number plays out, we see Rachel at the apartment, putting on her coat, pulling her stuff together and getting ready to leave this apartment that she found with Kurt and she paid for, but she's leaving. Uh, she goes to leave. She gives her to hug. Uh, she gives Kurt a hug. Goodbye. She approaches Santana who is just standing there like, I don't know. We'll talk about Santana's uh, reaction and all of this, but uh, she walks right. Rachel's going to walk right past her. And then in a very dramatic fashion, she finds this picture of the two of them from from graduation and she rips it to pieces, throws it over her shoulder and walks out of the apartment to uh, head out. So not the most pleasant ending to an episode there for people that are big fans of the NY three. Like we are played over the you know played over a very nice performance from the new directions of breakaway uh aman what do you what do you have to say about all this watching the picture get ripped up kind of hurt my heart i was like oh that's just like i mean you see that a lot in like tv shows and movies but like i've had i've actually had that done to me and that actually really hurts <laughs> like that it's ugh. so amateur like i i did a film project though in high school and like one of the scenes of it was somebody taking a uh, uh just setting a picture on fire to uh like just be dramatic in in the scene i'm like we're really doing this on glee like they couldn't have come with whatever i mean i, I it actually hurts i mean i would just imagine one of your friends doing that to you like after you get into a big fight and they take a picture in this rip it up or they untag themselves like virtually speaking they untag themselves in any pictures with you online like that shit actually hurts like so i was kind of i was kind of moved by that i know that it's simple i know that it's a cliche but it actually i think it's a cliche that holds true i mean like i and you see that rachel's about to cry as she's packing up and everything because she's hurt like she's i think that after all of that after all the arguing and everything underneath it all, it's just like, Oh my God, like I'm about to get like my dream come true. And like, here it is. Like once again, like I can never like just have something for my fucking self. Like I just want to be a part of something that makes me special. And I finally felt like I got that. And then here comes the ghosts of my past destroying it again. And I just, I just wish that the both of them were mature enough to realize that this is actually such a special opportunity for the both of them. Like Rachel, you're going to be on Broadway. You already said that yourself, you're not going to get sick. And even if Santana doesn't spend one night on that stage, which I feel like she actually might have to, I feel like there are contracts where like, like Rachel has to like take a break. I think that the, if I, I, I might be wrong, like don't quote me on that, but I feel like there are, there are at least some performances that she would not be allowed to be there for. Like, but even if Santana didn't spend any time on that stage, like, both of you are getting paid to be working actresses in New York City. That's amazing. And the both of you can go on from this to do other things. Like, I know that Funny Girl is, like, your big dream, Rachel, but it won't be the only dream that you have. You're 18, you're, you're, you're 18 years old. You know what I mean? Like, this is the beginning. And you get to do it with one of your best friends. Even though you guys aren't saying that you're friends, you guys are friends. Like... Do they know how rare that is? Like, that's, this shouldn't be happening to the two of you, and it is. But the two of them just don't have, they can't come out of their own bullshit to see that. And it just, it really, really sucks to see that. But, like, I mean, I get it. Like, I understand why she's upset. I don't, I think that if Santana had told her beforehand, maybe we, would be, we wouldn't be in the situation. But then again, we wouldn't have the fucking show. So this is where we are. We don't watch TV, and we don't watch movies, and we don't, we don't watch theater to watch reasonable reasonable behavior from reasonable people so it is what it is this um side note this just makes me want to make you to watch smash i don't know if cj you've seen smash with Catherine mcphee and megan hilton oh well it is so good 
you have to watch it. Matt, you definitely have to watch it. I know that you would love it. This episode reminded me so much of it. And yeah, that's my soapbox. Yeah, uh, I, you know, a lot, a lot of good points there. This is Rachel's dream and she feels like it's being taken from her by somebody that she allowed herself to get really close to. You know, she did not have trust with Santana for so long. But then if you think back to that end of season three where Santana came up to her and was like, you know, Rachel, like, you know, we, we really could. Or I think maybe Rachel came up to Santana saying, you know, if we, we, if we got along better, we could have really created something special for these past couple of years and really done a whole lot more than what we were actually able to because we were at each other's throats the whole time uh, and now they had a chance to correct that and make that a, a you know a better thing here in New York uh, they were trying a whole new path of, uh, of of their friendship together working together and now here they are in a place where obviously things are really falling apart and uh, Rachel feels extremely hurt by it uh, CJ what did you uh, what did you make of all this stuff and do you have a side that you're gonna like kind of land on or is everybody kind of all over the place like not every like nobody's for sure right I guess I mean, I, you know, I, I have the bias to want to back Santana, but I'm also a Libra. So uh, based on that, we're going to have to just, you know, see all sides. And I feel like everybody has like they, they each are at fault to some degree, but I feel like they're they're small things. And because of this battle of pettiness it just blew up into something it really didn't need to be. Like, if, if they could just check their egos, it would be okay. If they could have just... If, if Santana could have given Rachel a heads up, it would have been fine. If Rachel could have not had a stick up her ass, it could have been fine. But alas, here we are. Uh, it also, again, just does not make sense that, you know, Rachel is the one leaving her apartment which is it, it I think it's very interesting like it's a it's a choice from her but I do really like the the photo the little clip of her ripping the photo as cliche as it is because yeah. this entire episode Rachel has not been able to get the last word in like she just it, it's just not in her favor and it never will be Santana is really great at getting that last final blow before she leaves and so for Rachel, I feel like that was kind of her moment. Like she wasn't saying anything, but she just, uh, listen, a picture is a thousand words. She ripped the picture. That was it. Done. Boom. It's over. Yeah, it really shows you just how much this all meant to Rachel uh, and the way that she decides that, you know, it's not even worth being in her own apartment anymore. If like if if this isn't going to be resolved anytime soon, if Kurt is not willing to be on my side and we can't get Santana out of here by like a majority vote or anything like that, then I'm leaving. She's like, I this means more to me than uh, sticking around here, which lines up with everything we know about her. She's always put her dreams and her like like motivation to to be successful ahead of her friendships as Amon mentioned earlier just as something as simple as the election back in the day and then you know anything else that she's done in her life she's always put uh, people second uh, in her life. So it's not surprising that she's willing to just walk out the door and, uh, you know, make sure she's staying focused. So that's that. And does anybody have any uh, thoughts on the breakaway performance before we actually get into picking our favorite songs? It was nice. It, it wasn't anything like crazy, but I think it was just a nice, like calming together moment. Like, even though obviously, you know, breakaway, everybody's like split and mm -hmm. whatever, like, like Rachel's leaving. But I think just like for, you know, the Glee Club and Blaine and Artie and like Tina, it was it was a nice moment for them. And so in, in that half of the performance, that was actually like the Glee Club singing. It was really nice. 
Yeah, my biggest problem with it is it just like the the difference in tone between the two scenes. Like it's just I feel like it doesn't fit that well. I mean, you have a moment of resolution between Artie and Tina, and then you have a moment of disarray with Santana and Rachel. So it's just like uh, I don't really know how to. I feel like this song isn't like the best to be able to be am- ambivalent and like go back and forth between the two of these moments, but. I kind of feel like it was wasted on this uh, on this scene because Breakaway is such a like classic Kelly Clarkson song. I just feel like it deserved more than this. But I mean, they sounded great as always. They did. Uh, they certainly did. And that's going to be the end of our episode here where we uh, are going to see Rachel leaving. So she's gone. Uh, who knows where she's off to? I'm sure we'll find out soon enough. Maybe in uh, the very next episode, we'll see. But yeah, that's all we have for uh, for this recap portion of the episode. Of course, we are going to get into picking our favorite songs from this episode. So, Aman, what do we have to choose from? Whenever I call you friend, Artie, Tina, with the new directions, Brave, Rachel, and Santana. My lovin', you're never gonna get it. Artie, Tina, with the new directions. Don't rain on my parade. Santana, Santana, Santana Lopez. I believe in a thing called love. Starchild and Kurt, every breath you take, Rachel and Santana, break away. New directions. All right. CJ, as our guest, we will uh, have you go first. Which song from this episode stands out as your favorite? Gotta give it to Don't Rain on My Parade. It is a moment, not only for the song, the vocals, of course, because Naya Rivera crushes it every time, but just the moment as a whole is wonderful. Absolutely. Aman, what do you got? I'm going to give it to every breath you take. I think that the both of them sound magnificent on the song, and I just love the way that it is shot with them both, you know, going through the blocking for Funny Girl and the shadows of themselves on the backstage walls and up and down the rafters, all that stuff. I just thought it was expertly done. All right. Yeah. And I'm also going to uh, give it to Don't Rain on My Parade. I don't think that's surprising anybody. So uh, very much in line with uh, with that pick that CJ had. Um, I really want to give it to two here by giving it to Brave as well, because I just cannot ever get enough of that number. Uh, it's it's really good. There's a lot of good songs in this episode, but that one in particular stands out to me. Um, I just got to give Santana the full shine, the solo shine on Don't Rain On My Parade. So that's where I'm going to go with that. Let's get into some slushy ratings. So CJ, we'll have you kick us off as well here again, which uh, you remember uh, how this is all working out, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, I will not be throwing any slushies at this episode. I find it delightful. Mm. That's that's a welcomed uh, change. I feel like a lot of people will come in here throwing slushies left and right. <laughs> so uh, getting zero slushies is always uh, always makes my heart happy because I I'm glad you came in here and uh, loved this episode that you wanted to talk about. But yeah, any any final thoughts on why it's a zero slushy episode? Honestly, because the only thing that I that I'm really in this entire episode that I'm like I'm not a huge fan of is that that first duet. Whenever I call you friend and. It's not enough for me to want to, like, chuck a slushie when I could just sip on the slushie. Like, if I have a slushie, I'll just drink it myself. Like, I'm not going to waste it on one song. Yeah, I uh, I cannot disagree with you there. That's a very valid point. Aman, what do you got? Mm, I'm kind of tempted to do the same thing. I'm trying to think if there's anything that I'm not necessarily a big fan of. 
Um, Because the the biggest thing for me with this episode is just like what we talked about before and the so many ways in which you can dissect Santana and Rachel's relationship. I kind of wish that it was just strictly about Santana and Rachel. I wish that this was an episode that took place entirely in New York. I felt like the other rivalries that they were giving us, like I didn't really care too much for the Artie and like that, that shit pales in comparison to what's going on in New York, you know what I mean? And if they needed to have the Elliot Starchild and Kurt thing going on as well, fine, fine. I would much rather that be the only B-side story to Rachel and Santana and leave it at that. Um, so that kind that that kind of detracts for it, from it for me. But then again, we probably wouldn't have had my love and you're never going to get it. You know what I mean? And they kill that song together. <sighs> I don't know if I, I don't think I can give it zero slushies, but I will definitely give it 0.5. Because I think that just like the what we get from Rachel and Santana in this episode is probably some of the best uh, relationship design that we see in the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're on the exact same page. I feel I feel that way as well. Um, I I think it is a fantastic episode, and that's why it's not getting many slushies. Only a half for me. It's uh, it's got a lot of good stuff in here. I agree with everything that you had been saying, uh, praising the storyline between those three and exactly how they wrote it up. I think it was all really good uh, with that stuff, and I I agree as well that I think it would have been nice to have it be all in New York. But we're gonna kind of get some more episodes of that later in the season. So I you know I'm not surprised. They wanted to get some McKinley in while they can. So, uh, yeah, it's it's okay um, that that was included. It's fine. So, yeah, I'm also going to land on the half slushy and uh, really good episode. So uh, that's that's that. And, of course, we'll close things out with a gold star. And this one feels really tough for me, which is why I'm glad I'm not going first. Uh, CJ, uh, what do you uh, what do you think? You have anyone that stands out to you as the obvious pick for a gold star See, the pressure is now on. Um, I, I'm a little bit torn because at first, like, the obvious is like, oh, I want to give Santana a star. But I'm like, yeah, okay, cool, whatever. Like, you're fun. Moving on. I'm like, Artie, I feel like he, he did, he did some shit this episode. And I feel like I'm gonna, I'm gonna reward him for that. He got, he got shoved on the floor he had that very, although it was a bit abrupt, the little forgiveness in terms of giving up the valedictorian spot and just little moments. My love and never going to get it. Beautiful. <laughs> so for that reason, go Artie. All right. Yes, uh, Artie does uh, does not get enough love with the gold stars with us. Uh, we, he, he did have one on the season, but I'm always happy to see him accumulating more stars. Uh, any chance that there's an opportunity. Aman, what are you thinking? Hmm. I kind of don't want to choose between Rachel and Santana because... Hmm. Okay, this is so fucking hard. Um, I kind of want to give it to Rachel because I appreciate... I appreciate her, like, being, like, being so protective of her dream. I think that that's important. But then again, I really love Santana's tenacity... In this episode, <sighs> okay. This is the ultimate test for Aman. Does he return to his roots of Rachel Standom? I just like the fact that she's so protective of her shit. I just love that. I love that she is, like, she'll do anything to protect herself in her dreams. And that can be that can be very toxic at times. And I think a bit of that toxicity came out in this episode. But it's also 
I think it's important for people to have that quality. Like, don't give up on yourself and don't like fight for your fucking shit. I love that shit. But I also sympathize with Santana here as well. But I ultimately think that Santana was more in the wrong here because all she had to do was say, hey, look, we've been talking. We've been roommates for a while now. I really think this might be a good opportunity for me. I hope that we can still be really good friends. It's just the understudy role. I don't plan on ever trying to, like, I would never try and, like, take your dream away from you, Rachel, but I don't want to pass up on an opportunity for me as well. We had a conversation a couple months ago where you and both, you and Kurt sat me down and told told me that you felt like I was wasting my life as a cage dancer or whatever the hell and that I should be taking dance classes at Niata or whatever the hell. And I feel like this might be an opportunity for me, and I just hope that you're able to except that like if she had just done that then this probably would have smoothed over a lot better so for that reason and for that reason alone oh my god no i'm giving it to santana i'm giving it to santana because she walked out on that stage and she owned that song and i understand not wanting to talk to rachel because rachel probably would not have taken it well and they were going to fight about it which would have ruined the audition and she wouldn't we wouldn't have gotten the number so i have to give it to santana because i understand the logic even though the logic is flawed ah! <laughs> Uh, I feel I feel the emotions pouring out of you. You were right. That was really hard. Oh, my God. (sighs) I almost want to just have two gold stars, but I'm not going to do that. I'll tell you my star and I, I will swing back around to you at the end in case you have any final changes of heart before we close things out, I, which I don't want. I'm happy for it to land on Santana uh, because, of course, mine is also going to land on Santana. It's uh, it's a lock for me. It, it always was. Um, I take the criticisms towards how she acted in this episode. But what I was saying earlier is what I keep returning to about how just because Rachel was not seemingly in the wrong on this episode doesn't mean that I can just forget how Rachel has always been her whole entire time that we've known her. She has always been the person, like I said, that will go out and do whatever it takes to get what she wants. So just because Santana's doing that in this episode, right. But just because Santana's doing it in this episode, running over Rachel in the way that Rachel easily would do it to Santana doesn't, you know, doesn't, it doesn't make a huge difference to me who's doing it. When the point is that Santana, this was her episode where she went and took this opportunity. Doesn't Santana usually run over Rachel? Santana usually is the one that's running over Rachel and she just did it again. This is the one time in which Rachel could have run her over. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's why I'm struggling so much with this. Santana runs over her like verbally and, you know, she'll call her short and whatever else she insults her with. But Rachel comes out on top by the being the one that is the star of the show, getting the solos at nationals, getting everything, you know, being she's she's always been the number one. She it's it's the Leah Michelle show, if we want to bring it back that way as well. So Santana has always had to fight her way to be towards the top. And to get to the top of Glee, you have to take down Rachel to get there. There's no other way around it. So she did so. That's what she did. She went in there and she didn't take Rachel down. She is the understudy. She's not Rachel's part. Rachel is just being insecure about it because she knows that Santana, know, uh, San, I mean, probably rightfully believes that uh, Santana could potentially pull some tricks to get Rachel to be sick for a show or two. Like that's obviously not out of Santana's playbook. Um, but Santana knew, knew that the only way that she could potentially do this, like you said, was to not tell Rachel about it, to go ahead and do it. And she's not being like rubbing it in her face or anything like that. Rachel's taking it really hard and she's refusing to 
talk about it or to get on a, a page where she can be happy for Santana for being the understudy. Like this is, this could be like Rupert saying like a dream thing for two friends to be rising in New York city together. You know, Santana is not the lead of the show. She is your understudy. So again, we're kind of making the same points over and over again, but I am landing on Santana. That performance was just, she knocked it out of the park. And to me, this is her episode. So that's my pick. How do you feel? Oh my God. Uh, you know what? Like, I already said it. I'm a man of my word. I'm not changing it, but it's just that was really, really hard. <laughs> that was really, really hard, and I I'm tempted so much to just give two stars, but I don't do that, and I don't want to start doing that. So, uh, this was good writing. That's all I can say. If it's eliciting this much emotion out of me, this what they did this pretty well. <laughs> CJ, do you sympathize with the monster struggle at all? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was, I was. I, I wanted to in my heart and soul to like give that star to Santana, but I'm like, you know what? One, I figured she was gonna get stars from you anyways. Uh, and two, I feel like part of part of her predicament right now is self-imposed. And so I understand where Amon is coming from in the sense of like, well, yeah, she's she's not doing great. Rachel's not doing great. They're both kind of in these these situations that essentially they created out of their own pettiness and therefore it's kind of harder to determine necessarily like who's the better of the two morally or whatever like who's right exactly yeah it's uh it's a tough debate and i feel like uh, we're nowhere near done talking about it as uh we go forward into the season and i uh, already see us taking some time on this when we get to our season five recap down the line uh cj very happy to have uh, had you on today. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? And uh, also, where can people find you if they want to uh, follow up with some Glee takes? So happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Um, final thoughts being season five is a fun season. I I think I, I think there's a lot of potential to come from what transpired this episode. And so I think I think the future is bright in terms of the possibilities that can that can happen based on this fallout uh if you guys want to find me you can reach me at cj marie c-e-e-j-a-e that's right it's not a nickname um on tiktok twitter instagram that's it. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Check out the Glee TikToks. Go check out CJ's TikToks because, again, that's how we uh, discovered that CJ was a Glee fan. So definitely worth checking out. And uh, CJ, just in case we don't get a chance to talk to you uh, again before we're done uh, recapping the episodes, we try not to go like too spoilery for anybody watching for the first time. But just overall, season six, thumbs up, thumbs down or eh. Eh. To like a thumbs down. Like it's like it's like a solid eight o'clock. that's funny all right well uh, we'll see i'm sure we can uh, get together at some point in the future and we'll uh, get some more glee convo going but yeah thank you again for coming on everybody make sure you go check out cj on social media and uh, let her know what you think especially of those tiktoks Uh, mon uh, anything else before we get out of here you doing okay i'm all right i just want to end this episode before i have anything else to say um Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of The Choir Room. You can follow us at Choir Room Pod on Twitter. You can follow us individually. I'm at Amon Adwin. Matt is at Matt Lagori. Make sure that you leave us star ratings and reviews wherever you get your podcasts. We will read them aloud on the show. Anything else? 
That's it. Uh, let us know who you guys would give the gold star to. I feel like I don't ask that a whole lot. But, uh, I'm sure this will be a Twitter poll at some point. Rachel versus Santana. We'd love to know what you guys think. But that's all we got for this episode. We'll see you in the next one. Right. Until then, see you at Nationals.